Good morning. My mic is working? All right. Uh, as as uh, Don said, my name is Kevin. Uh, my wife is Susanna, right down there. And our two boys, Ethan and Trevor, are off uh, with the kids' sermon. We've been here for about two years, and we um, are very appreciative and thankful for this church. And I thank you for this privilege to come here and be your speaker today. So today's sermon, Women at the Well, John 4. So it is not a typo, women, uh, plural, at the well. Because what we're going to do is look at all the other women at the well stories in the Old Testament in order to understand the Samaritan woman at the well story. Oh, turn this on. Sorry. Okay. Okay. The game's set. I don't know if any of you play this, but my boys and I uh, like to play this. Actually, my boys like to play it, and I just play it with them. And one of the reasons that they really like to play this game is because Dad is so bad at this game, and they always beat me. So the point of the game is that... Oh, no laser. Um, is that you have all these different shapes colors and uh, shadings with these symbols. And what you're trying to do is find a similar or a common suit and find ones that are different in each one. So you find um, sets of three. And if you look down the middle, there we go. You have three purple, I, I guess, uh, ovals. And each one is different because this is one, this is three, and this is two. And this makes a set. And what you do is you collect as many sets as you can. And every time you take out a set, you put in new cards. I was playing with Ethan, uh, my youngest son, uh, a, a week ago. And no, no joke, uh, he beat me 10 to 0. He got 10 sets, I got 0. I said, you know, Ethan, I'm tired. I, I think you won. Let, let, let's just move on. So oddly enough, today's sermon is a bit like the game set. Uh, while I'm not very good at this game, uh, my training is in um, Bible, academic training, and I spend a lot of time thinking about concepts, themes, and stories in the Bible, how they're similar yet different. So today's sermon is just a big game of set. We'll be tracing how the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well fits in line with all the other women at the well stories of the Old Testament. But we'll see how the scene with Jesus and the Samaritan woman is radically different from all the other stories. Now, if we want to know what Jesus was doing at the well, we have to know more about the stories of these women at the well. Knowing and loving Jesus. In um, our Christian culture today, we talk a lot about loving Jesus, knowing Jesus, our desire to know him and to love him. But love entails knowing. If you really love someone, then you know them. My wife, Susanna, uh, I know that she loves me because she knows me so well. One of her favorite phrases is, I know you so well, after I've done something dumb or I try to play a trick on her, and, and she just knows it. <laughs> she just knows it. It's the same for us as men. 
if we forget our wife or girlfriend, uh, new haircut or the new dress, and we don't notice it. They're not really mad that we don't notice the new haircut, the new dress. They're mad that that not noticing is a failure uh, to know, and the failure to know or to notice is a failure uh, in, in loving. So knowing Jesus means knowing Jesus, the Jewish man. It also means knowing Jesus' worldview, meaning his Jewishness, and that means knowing the Old Testament. And today, I hope that knowing Jesus and knowing all these stories will be fun. Uh, I hope I won't bore you. <laughs> uh, I'm a teacher, so uh, I'm going to try and make this fun. So today, I ask for your patience and your indulgence as I uh, perhaps not preach through a sermon, but I put on my teaching hat and I teach us through this sermon. Women at the well. So, here are the women that we will look at. There's the Samaritan woman, there's Rebecca and Rachel, they're the matriarchs in Genesis, Zipporah, Moses' wife, and the girls of Zuth. These are uh, associated with Saul. Whoops. Uh, these are boy meet girl stories. So all these women at the well stories, well, with the exception of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, are stories of men meeting women and getting uh, wives. And why are they getting wives at the well? Well, the issue is that uh, drawing water from the well was a teenage girl's job or a young woman's job. So it's the logical place to find a wife. So uh, I guess it would be analogous today for uh, Christians. Uh, where, where would you find a wife? You'd go to a singles fellowship. Back then, they didn't have singles fellowships. They had wells, okay? So you go to wells. <laughs> the first one, Rebecca and Isaac. So some background on Rebecca and Isaac. Now, remember, Abraham is Isaac's father, and Abraham sends a servant to find Isaac a wife. Uh, Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's only son. Now remember that uh, Abraham was very close to sacrificing Isaac. This was part of God's testing. And the big deal was that Isaac was the only son. And the bigger deal was that God said, Abraham, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. This great nation would become Israel. And it's going to come through your children. Your children will be like the sands of the sea. Now, if you only have one son, then it's imperative for that son to be married and for that son to have children. So finding a wife for Isaac is the only hope for continuing the family line that eventually becomes the Hebrew nation. So here's the story for Genesis 24, um, Rebecca and Isaac. And this is Abraham's servant, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I am standing here by the spring of water, a well, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I shall say, please offer your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. 
Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, coming out with her water jar on her shoulder. The girl was very fair to look upon, a virgin whom no man had known. So what's so good about Rebecca? Well, you have to remember that in Genesis and with the patriarchs, it's very important for them to marry into the same people, uh, the same clan, the same people, and uh, the fancy word for this is endogamous, right? So they were supposed to have endogamous marriage. And Rebecca came from a family that was related to Abraham. Of course, she was beautiful, right? Who doesn't want beauty? Uh, virgin, that's what you're supposed to have as your wife. And also, she's hospitable. She was drawing water for the servant without the servant. Uh, wait, let me back up. She drew water uh, to be hospitable, and she also watered uh, the camels for the servant. So this is the ideal woman. This is the ideal woman at the well. We have the next woman at the well, and this is Rachel, and background for Rachel and Jacob. Jacob is the son of Rebekah and Isaac, and Jacob is on the run after stealing Esau's blessing. So if you remember that story, Esau's the firstborn, but Jacob uh, supplants the brother, tricks the father, and steals the blessing from uh, the father by dressing up as Esau. And then Esau has married Canaanite woman, so his line is discontinued uh, in terms of being viable for the nation Israel. So how will Abraham's lineage continue? From where will God's great nation uh, come to? Uh, Abraham. So the issue is Jacob is on the run. His brother's out to kill him. How will the family line continue? Well, it continues through Rachel, another woman at the well. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field and three flocks of sheep tie, uh, lying there beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? They said, we do. He said to them, is it well with him? Yes, they replied. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the sheep. And uh, skipping down to verse 17, Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of sight. Rachel, uh, again, same clan and people. Uh, if you really look at it closely, uh, they're actually cousins, but we're, we're not going to worry about that. Uh, she was really beautiful, okay? I, I, I like this in the text. She was beautiful of form and beautiful of sight. The author says it twice, okay? The point is, she's totally hot, okay? <laughs> she's a virgin. She's a daughter living with the family. That's the implication of a daughter living with the family. Okay. So, matriarchs of the nation Israel. Rebekah was the mother of Jacob. Jacob was later renamed as Israel. Rachel is the wife of Jacob, or Israel. These are the matriarchs of the family clan that became the nation Israel. They are the perfect or the ideal woman, right? They're endogamous. They come from the same people or clan. They're beautiful. 
they're virgins, they're hospitable. This is the perfect wife, okay? So we have to keep that in mind as we look at Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But before we do that, we also have to look at men at the well, okay? It's not just the women at the well, it's the men at the well. And what do they all have in common? Well, these were all strangers in town. These were people that traveled from afar to a different land, and there they met their future wives. So Abraham's servant slash Isaac, uh, they went from Canaan to Haran. Haran is in Mesopotamia, same with Jacob. Moses was in Egypt, and then he went to the land of Midian. And then Saul, who's actually an anti-hero, and we'll talk about him in a moment, he went from the land of Benjamin to the land of Zoph. Okay? All became heroes for Israel. These were all important men in the formation and the deliverance of Israel. So, Jacob, uh, we, we already talked about this, Canaan to Haran on the run from Esau, continues the Abrahamic lineage, uh, after he meets his wife, he becomes Israel. He becomes a patriarch, and he starts uh, the family that becomes uh, the nation eventually. And then here's the one with Moses and Zabora. So this is the background for Moses before he met his wife, his time in Egypt. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. Moses agreed to stay with the man and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, in marriage. Moses, zero to hero, right? He's the Egyptian prince. The Hebrews are under Egyptian oppression, and you would think that he would be the Hebrew deliverer. And we see him trying to do so with the Egyptian and the Hebrew that were fighting. He kills him hides him in the sand, he's found out, and his own people say, hey, are you going to do that to me as well? That is a sign of the people's rejection of Moses as a deliverer. Okay? He utterly fails the first time. So Pharaoh's after him, and he runs away. But then he gets to the well in the land of Midian, and there he becomes the hero. What he does to deliver the women from the shepherds that come to persecute the women uh, is a foreshadowing of Moses as the deliverer, right? The shepherds will come and they wait for the woman to fill the troughs and then they scare them away so they don't have to do any work. But Moses fights for them. 
And this story of Moses at the well is a marker that reminds us of the Genesis patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob. It's saying, hey, don't worry, he may not seem like the hero, but he is because he's going to meet a woman at the well. It's a narrative marker. Now, we look at the anti-hero, Saul. Saul looks like a hero, right? There was a man, oh, by the way, this is King Saul, and this is before Saul became king. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Aviel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, had strayed. So Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the boys with you. Go and look for the donkeys. As they went up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. So they went up to the town. As they were entering the town, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the shrine. Oh, whoops. So what's going on here? Well, Saul goes from the land of Benjamin to the land of Zuth, looking for the string uh, donkeys, and he wanders into the town, and you're thinking, wait, he's good-looking, he's handsome, he's tall, this guy's going to be a hero. And he comes up to the woman at the well, or, or the girl, they're drawing water, and all the other stories, Rachel, Rebecca, Zipporah, you're thinking, okay, he's going to get a wife here, but no, what happened? He just asked them for directions to the seer, and they answered, oh, he's over there. And then he just goes on. He doesn't get a wife. No woman at the well for Saul. So what is this? Well, I think it's a foreshadowing. Um, Saul becomes a hero because he's the new king, or the first king of Israel, and ultimately he does save Israel from the Philistines to a certain degree, but this failure at the well foreshadows that Saul is doomed in his kingship and that he is not a hero. He's not a good guy. So, Saul, just a zero. Now, now we can go to Jesus at the well, turning things upside down. Now, before we read this passage, I want to remind you that the book of John is theologically very complex, uh, especially John chapter 4. Each story is full of symbolism, double meanings, and links with other parts of the book of John. We can't hope to cover everything, but today what I want to do is look at the woman at the well in light of all the other woman at the well stories. So that's our emphasis today. So I'm sorry, we can't cover everything. Uh, those will be other sermons. So, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it's not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of land ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired 
out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may be thirsty, so I may never be thirsty, or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You'll worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Let's compare and contrast. Let's play set with the woman at the well and the Samaritan woman. Uh, all the other women were from the same clan, the same people. But Jesus meets with this woman. She's an outsider. She's a Samaritan, okay? Uh, the other women were beautiful. This woman is on her sixth uh, relationship. She's had five husbands. And if we assume she's had five husbands, we could assume that she's not young and she's probably not beautiful anymore. Uh, she's, okay, okay. You can be... You can be older and still beautiful, but the point I'm trying to put, make is that she's not young and beautiful, okay? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Okay, she's a virgin. This sixth man, it says, the sixth, your sixth husband is not really your husband, meaning she's in an adulterous relationship, most likely. Hospitable, inhospitable. She goes, I'm not going to draw you a drink of water. Why are you asking me? Okay? So, we'll keep those in mind. And we have to ask, why is the story so scandalous? Okay, first, let me make clear. Jesus is not getting a wife here. He is not getting a girlfriend. What we have to understand is this story needs to be read in light of the other women at the well stories. 
what we have to understand about why this is scandalous is we have to understand how the Jewish people viewed the Samaritans. Okay, the Samaritans were the descendants of the northern kingdom, Israel. There were two kingdoms, Israel in the north and then Judah in the south. And then when Israel, the northern kingdom, was rejected because of their idolatry, they fell to the Assyrians in 722. And then as a result, they were exiled and the Israelites that were left in the north, the Assyrians brought their own people and they settled there with them and they mixed in marriage. So they were quote unquote polluted by other nations after Israel fell and went into exile. Not considered to be God's true people. Okay? The southern kingdom became the Jewish people. They considered themselves to be God's true people. The Jewish people considered Jerusalem to be the Jewish temple, the center of Yahweh worship. The Samaritans, while they were in the north, they thought Mount Gerizim was their center of worship. There they had their equivalent of the Jerusalem temple, the Samaritan temple. And then the Jewish people obviously understood Samaritan worship of Yahweh, right? The Jewish people's God uh, as unorthodox worship. It's not legitimate. And then we also have to understand the Jewish view of the Messiah. The Messiah, okay, means the anointed one. Anointed to be king. This Messiah comes for the true Israel, the faithful Israel. This Messiah comes to re-establish Israel as a truly sovereign nation, and this Messiah overthrows its enemies. Remember, Israel was still under Roman domination. Yes, it had its own puppet king, but it was not really a sovereign nation. They were ruled by the Romans. So the Messiah was this king that was going to come and was going to reestablish Israel as a nation. Now, true Israel, it wasn't enough just to be Jewish. You had to be a faithful Jew. So that meant you worshiped at the Jewish temple. You observed Torah. How do you observe Torah? You go through the kosher food laws, you do Sabbath, and you have to stay an ethnically pure Jew. Turning things upside down. So now, if we return to the story, Jesus is the traveler. He is coming from outside to a city, and he comes to the well. He is setting himself up as the hero. Jesus is reenacting the woman at the well with a non-ideal woman, right? We've said this before. She has five husbands. She's adulterous. She's inhospitable. She is all the things that the women of the Old Testament, uh, the women at the well in the Old Testament, were not. She's the opposite. And at the same time, the Samaritan woman is also a reflection of the Jewish-Samaritan tensions. She has five husbands. She's adulterous, meaning she's been mixing with other men, just like the Samaritan nation was mixing with the other nations. She's inhospitable, just like Samaria and um, Judea are inhospitable with each other. Okay? So Jesus, the Messiah, the redeeming king, comes to Samaria, and he comes to save people in Samaria. That's the scandal. The true renewed Israel, God's kingdom, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. This is a very tricky section at the end of uh, our passage. And what Jesus is saying, hey, it's not whether you worship 
in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or whether you're Samaritan. Jesus is saying what matters is that you worship God in truth and spirit. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus had the spirit. Jesus was the anointed one with God's Holy Spirit. So when you understand and recognize Jesus as the Messiah, then you interact with Jesus, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have that from John 1. So uh, worshiping in spirit and truth means recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Nothing else matters. It's not the temple. It's not ethnicity. It's not the food laws. It's faith in Jesus. Oops. So Jesus as the traveler, he's setting himself up as Jacob and Isaac. He's a father of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, remember the king coming to redeem Israel, he's setting himself up also as Moses, the deliverer of Israel. So what is Jesus doing in Samaria? He's reforming Israel with the truly faithful people. The people that are faithful to Jesus are the, is the new Israel that Jesus is trying to bring about. And the scandal is that he's including the Samaritans, the people that the Jewish people did not deem the Messiah to come to. So what does this all mean? We've done a lot of work for just one passage. Uh, I hope it was fun. Uh, I think when we read stories, and we see how they're connected with all the other stories in the Old Testament. It's fun. And I I, I hope uh, this wasn't a wasted endeavor, but something that will spur you on to, to want to read more of the Old Testament. The other point, Jesus welcomes all to his kingdom. He sees us more than mere members of the kingdom of God. He sees us as a Rachel or a Rebecca, perfect woman, no matter how spoiled and reprehensible we may look to others. Jesus prizes us just like when the heroes of the Old Testament looked and saw how beautiful and wonderful Rachel and Rebecca were. Knowing the stories that were important in Jesus' day allows us to know more, to know from what culture and thinking Jesus came. Knowing Jesus' stories allows us to know Jesus more. Knowing Israel's stories allows us to know more about the Jesus whom we love and want to love and whom loves us more than we know. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Uh, I think what we'll do is have a moment of silence just to think about this story of the woman at the well and now pray for us. So uh, please uh, close your eyes. Uh, if you need to, to reflect, to meditate. And in a moment, uh, I will pray for us.
Lord, we come to you just like the woman at the well in Samaria. We all have our sins. We are not ideal in your eyes, but you have made us to be ideal. You see us just like a Rachel and just like a Rebecca. We pray that we know and hang on to this truth, that you love us more than we know. We pray that we continue to be people that are faithful, that want to be part of your kingdom, people that glorify you and recognize you as our King, our Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.